Ladies and gentle bros, welcome to the No Soliciting Experience. I am your host and asker of questions, Rick Martinez. Let's be real. We all know I'm your favorite memester on the interwebs. What a joke. <laughs> Look, listen. Let's talk sales. Let's talk funnies. Let's talk about some successful people. Let's talk with successful people in this industry. Top performers, team leads, and people who are leaving a lasting influence and legacy in this industry. So, take out a pen and paper, jot down some notes, or if you're in the car driving, make sure you go back and take some notes. Alrighty then. Let's see who we get to chat with today, shall we? Sweet. Awesome, guys. Welcome back to the No Soliciting Experience. I have a special guest with me, uh, Mr. Ian Went. Thank you for being on. Um, I've, I've, I've been following you for a while, um, man doing big things and huge, huge fan of you know, what you're doing. Um, so, Ian, can you tell us a, a little bit about who you are? Yeah, uh, dude, it's, it's cool to be on here. Um, I, like, I love your page. It's always, uh, it's always a breath of fresh air in, in an industry. It's always looking for something to laugh and something to stay positive, right? So I, I like it a lot. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. So I'm Ian Went. For those of you guys that don't know me, I am the, uh, I'm the VP of training and marketing for Caliber. Caliber used to be Dish One. Uh, we, we recently, re well, not recently, I guess now it's like two years since we rebranded to, to be Caliber. Um, but yeah, I run all of the sales and leadership training and then uh, marketing for Caliber. So yeah. Nice. You know, nice. Awesome, dude. So, so you first started in door to door, right? So you first started in dish one. How long have, have you been in, in the industry for? So, yeah, I started, I mean, it's been 11 years now, uh, almost 11 years, right? 2009. Yeah. yeah 2009. Uh, it could be 10 years and 11 summers or 11 years. I, I don't know. I've lost track, but somewhere 10 or 11 years, more, a little bit more than a decade. Um, and uh, yeah, I started with Dish One. I, I actually haven't left Dish One since. Uh, I started there, and I and I'm still with the same company, same people. Um, but yeah, I started back in 2009 when I got off my mish. You know, kind of the same as anybody else. Got recruited out of the freaking gym. Didn't know what I was getting into, but it uh, it ended up being something that I was I was pretty good at off the bat, and so stuck with it. And uh, here I am today. Dude, that's awesome, man. So you go yeah. a few summers, right, selling, and now you're it. At, at an executive level, um, dude, what, what, what was your progression like going from rep to now, you know, being a you know, top dog in the company? Dude, so it's actually uh, interesting. My story is a little different. I, uh, so I started in 2009, I started selling. Uh, my first summer, I actually only did about a month. Uh, mm -hmm. I, was, I was that guy that was super skeptical. I didn't know, you know, what to expect. My dad was in door-to-door -door sales like you know, for 15 years. And, uh, even though he was successful at it, he had always kind of told me, I, I think he had kind of the, the bad taste in his mouth because of the companies he worked for. And so even though he did things the right way, he was surrounded by a lot of people who didn't. And so I think he just kind of wanted to shield me from that. Mm -hmm. So he was always telling me like, don't get into that, you know, look for something different, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I just got to a point where I was kind of like, you know what, I'm just going to try it out, see how it goes. And, uh, so I did. And my first month I did, I think like 60 something accounts and it was like three and a half weeks. And so I, I mean, dude, it's, it was like anybody else, right? It was just, it was a dream. It was a high for me. I was just like, okay, this is, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Um, and, uh, and from there I, so that, so of course the next year I went out for the full year and then I sold for about four years, uh, full time, did four full summers. And, uh, and I was, I was, pretty successful. I, uh, I, I was always in the top three, whether I was number three or number two, you know, I did 300 accounts a year or whatever. When, I mean, back in the day when that was actually a big deal, it's not a big deal anymore. Now everybody's mm -hmm. just freaking running circles around all of us old dogs. But, um, you know, I, I learned a lot and I think that's what really kind of, uh, got me to the position I'm in today, which 
so basically I, I don't have everybody's typical story. I, I was never number one rep. Like I, 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 I can't say that I was the top rep. Um, unfortunately, you know, we talk about hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I was the perfect example of that. Um, I, I feel like the reason why that, that is the case is because typically the guys that are the most talented rely solely on their talent. And unfortunately I was that person. That's what I did. You know, I got, I, I realized that, I mean, I, I would knock maybe, honestly, I would knock like four to five hours a day unless it was a competition. And some days I would go out and knock like three hours. And I was still putting up, you know, more accounts than everybody in my office and pretty much everybody in the company. Um, but I got used to that. I got really comfortable because I was like, dude, I can, I can sell just as many, if not more than everybody else. And I don't have to knock, you know, eight or nine or 10 or 11 hours every day. Like, you know, I was in, I was in a headspace at the time when I was just like, I don't care. I'm just going to freaking, you know, work a few hours a day and enjoy the rest of the time. And uh, of course, if I could go back and change that, I would. Um, but obviously it's too late right now, but I think what that taught me because every year, you know, no matter how many accounts I put up, there was always that one guy that, that always sold, you know, just a few, I literally lost by a few accounts every year. And, uh, it was just because he outworked me, right? Just that those extra hours on the doors every single day, even though it didn't seem like it at the time, like someone was going to beat me, always passed me up. And uh, that was the definition of hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. That, that's, that's who I was. And so I, what I learned from that is, is two things. Number one was uh, I was never, ever, ever going to put myself in a situation where I relied solely on my talent, right? From those years of, of, uh, of constantly being beat, I, I realized that it was time for me to step up my game and be not only the talented person, but also the hard worker. And, uh, and so I kind of knew that I didn't want to be on the doors forever. I knew that it, it wasn't even necessarily I, I didn't want to be on the doors. It was more that I knew I was valuable in other ways. So what I realized is I, I could not only sell, you know, a ton of accounts every summer, but I also realized that I was really good at teaching people how to sell. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I, I sold for three years or I threw, sold for four years and I managed for one after that year of basically went to the owners of the company and I said, look, um, I want to run the training program here. And, uh, and I know that I can, you know, I'm, I'm more valuable to you guys. I can, I can not only sell this many accounts, but I can, I can literally teach all of our reps to sell 300 accounts a year or whatever. Right. Like I was, was very confident in it. And at the time they said, well, I mean, that's awesome. Uh, but we don't have a position like that. Like there is no training position like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the only thing, so, so this was at the time, this was Jeremy Hammond. He was the, he's one of the owners. He said, he said, look, the only thing you can do is literally go out and prove that you can do this. Go out and prove that that's actually possible. And if you can do that, and if you can show real results, then there, there won't be a question of whether or not we want that position. We're just, we'll create for you, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I took that and I was like, okay, challenge accepted. So that summer I went out and uh, I literally put 75,000 miles on my car I overdrafted my account like eight times, uh, which, you know, for anybody in this industry, you can imagine what that's like, right? Like yeah. up until then, there's no such thing as even having less than like a few thousand dollars in your account. Right. Mm -hmm. And so overdrafting it that many times was pretty freaking crazy. But the reason why is because I was so driven and so dedicated to training and teaching that I took that time away from my own sales. And so I was just constantly teaching and training and I would literally travel office to office and every single office I visited and every single rep I trained and every manager I trained, I would keep track of that. And I actually still have the binder to this day. I, I created a binder mm -hmm. where I tracked all of these metrics, right? And I, I literally would track the increase in sales, the increase in installs, the increase in quality from, you know, 30 days before I got to that office and 30 days after. And, uh, and then I started having everybody fill out these little like surveys, right. And uh, like little, uh, evaluation forms, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I just started emailing them to the owners, just literally like started slipping them under their door. Right. And pretty soon, two months later, I get a call from Jeremy again. And he's like, okay, like, obviously this is working. Come in. We want to talk about it. And, uh, dude, that, that's what it was. I, I basically went in and they were like, all right, create a, you know, create a pitch, pitch us on what you think you can do for, for us company wide. And, 
and uh, we'll talk about it. And, and so I did and, and boom, that landed me my, uh, my position as a, as a corporate trainer. And then from there, I went from corporate trainer to training department manager, which is I basically managed a couple people on the team and, and was in charge of all content creation. And then eventually I took over the training department and was in charge of everything. Uh, and then from there, and we can talk about this from there, I just, that training continued to progress. And once we kind of had it on, on uh, autopilot, people started to notice that I was also really good at marketing just because mm -hmm. of my own personal marketing and, and things like that. And, uh, when we, when we rebranded, um, I also took over all the marketing. So I, I think, I think like what I experienced as a door knocker really is what kind of like catapulted me into this mindset of add value and then negotiate. There's too many people in this industry that try to do it the opposite way around. They try to negotiate, they try to ask for things, they try to get things mm -hmm. before they've ever proved that they add enough value to, to make that worth it for whoever, right? Too many people try to get things from people without actually adding that value first. And that's really what I took to heart with what Jeremy told me is like, I was like, okay, I'm going to prove that I'm worth this. And then at that point, there's not going to be anything I can ask for that I won't be able to get. And uh, I've been blessed enough over the years to continue to have that mindset of like, find ways to add value, find ways to fill the gaps and solve mm -hmm. the problems that need to be solved. Um, so that I can put myself in a position where people rely on me and they, you know, and I can, I can use the talents I've been, I, I've had, and I've been lucky enough to develop to continue to add that value. So it, I think it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting story of progression, right? Because in this industry, usually it takes massive networks and tons of people and things like that to be able to get into those positions. But, mm -hmm. um, I was able to do it solely by adding a ton of value and figuring out a way to, you know, solve a problem that we had as a company. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think, yeah. Dude, that's awesome. So that's, that, that's kind of the big thing. Um, being that the, the industry is very, it, it's, it's very basic. It's, it's always negotiate and then try to add value. You went out and look to add that value. Um, one of the things that, that I, I kind of want to touch on it, I'm curious to know is, your personal marketing right so you were doing such a good job with it right branding yourself who you are that yeah. you took on the marketing for a company what what could be something that just a regular rep can do to just brand themselves just to kind of give themselves a, like a little bit of an edge that's a good question um especially now like during this time i think people are starting to realize more and more that personal branding is not only important it's essential mm -hmm. um people are getting to a point where they're no longer concerned with the big machine. They're no longer concerned with so much of like companies and things like that. Think about, I mean, there will never not be a need for interesting people, mm -hmm. right? We are, we are, a, we are a society who are constantly driven by following and being a part of something bigger than ourselves. Mm -hmm. And these people that are creating followings and creating like movements and, you know, you think about the most influential people, they're people that inspired others and continually serve them. And, and in a way they weren't necessarily like branding themselves, but that's what branded them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think if I were to give a piece of advice, it would just be like, now is the time to, you know, let people know who you are. I was on, I was on a call actually with Mitch Matthews the other day, and he said something that was really cool. He said, if you have talents and if you have abilities that can serve others, how dare you not use those to benefit others? Yeah. How dare you hold that back? And I agree a hundred percent. Like everybody should be looking for ways to, uh, to, to get their uh, talents and their abilities, whatever that is, right? Whatever those talents and abilities are, everybody should be figuring out a way to get that to the masses and try to influence even a small piece of this huge freaking rock that we are on. Right. Mm -hmm. Even just a small piece of it. Um, and the more and more people that do that, you know, the more I feel like the society is going to be more of a society of giving and positivity rather than taking in negativity. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think for anybody listening to this, like if you've been considering, you know, I really want to kind of get myself out there. I really want to start building a brand. I really want to start, uh, you know, getting people to notice me. The best way to do it 
is literally by doing things that inspire others and, and finding ways to add value and serve them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that, I think that's the biggest thing. That's what, that's what guys that are really crushing it in that game are doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and I would just say, take notes and, and just realize that it's not only important nowadays, it's essential. It's going to get to a point I feel like where personal branding is going to be everything. Yeah. Um, your personal brand is going to be what really drives, you know, everything. Um, and you see it more and more now, especially with us all quarantined, right? Like nobody has anything but the ability to see and interact with people digitally. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's huge. And not, and I'm not saying, you know, you need to walk that fine line of like, don't, don't become those influencers that try to put off that they're living the high life because they're renting Lambos and freaking living in Airbnbs. <laughs> like yeah. that's garbage, right? People want authentic people. They want to know, like when people follow me, they know what they're getting, right? They're getting yeah. my family. They're getting my daily routine. They're getting, you know, what I do for a living. They are going to get when my family travels, right? But that's not fake. It's real. Like mm -hmm. we, we have created a life that allows us to travel and allows us to do things like that. Um, and so it's not fake. And, and that's what people want. They want authenticity and they want to, they want to follow something that's bigger than themselves, but something they feel like they can attain if they'll just follow those same steps and do those things. Exactly. I, and, and that's super big. Cause I mean, from the people that I've seen build personal brands, I mean, you're one of them. You got guys like Mitch Matthews. And I think for me, the guy that stands out the most is, um, is a uh, Pessy, Danny Pessy, right? <laughs> for the longest time, I thought Pessy that dude, security. Pessy security, dude, I, for the longest time, I thought he owned his own company mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's what it was, but it was him working for Vivint and he just managed to, he, he advertised and marketed himself, his own personal brand. And, and think about what Pessy did, right? What did Pessy yeah. do? All, all he did was come up with a, a name. Yeah. He came up with some simple graphics for a logo or, or mm -hmm. whatever, or, or even just putting a hashtag, right? Yeah. And, and he's been in the industry so long that lots of people know him. And so everybody knows him as the, you know, the elderly person slayer, yeah. right? Like he's so good at selling old people. Everybody knows that. And so out comes the Pessy special. Yeah. And, and people, again, people latch onto that, right? Cause mm -hmm. it's something that they can, especially in the door to door industry, dude, everybody sells old people. And so it's something that they're like, Oh, cool. I'm going to post this. Like it's fun. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's things like that. And I, and I feel like there's so many people that have stuff to offer like that, but they're just, they're either afraid of doing it or they don't know where to start. And I would say the place to start is literally just what is your purpose and what is your objective? What do you want to put out there? Whether it's funny, inspirational, whatever it is, and then just create a fun idea. You know, like my win the morning thing, that's actually not even like, I was naive enough to think at first that it was original. It's not, it's been mm -hmm. around forever. Nobody like it's, you know, nobody reinvents the wheel. Um, but it's also come down to consistency, right? Pessy is yeah. super consistent with that tag, consistent mm -hmm. with that idea, consistent with his brand. And so people follow it. It's the same thing with mine, right? It's just consistent. And so number one, figure out your purpose and your objective. Second, come up with something catchy and third, be consistent with it. That's, yeah. that's really what it takes. That's all it takes guys. And I feel like this, this, this is going to set a lot of people apart because earlier you, you talked about, you know, the big machine, right? Like the big company names. I feel like, yeah, those are good. Um, but what's going to set you apart and it's going to obviously make you way more money and add more value to people. is just your own personal brand right? Having to stick out. Yesterday, I, I was on a call with, uh, with Steve Haru. I don't know if you know him. Um, so St Steve Haru is a sales guy, right? And he's, he's talking about, you know, follow up, right? Just consistently trying to follow up and making yourself stand out versus everybody else. And that's what's going to create like more customers down the road. Because if, if you're not able to sell them the first time, right, you're going to want to follow up with them. Because if you don't, then you're going to lose them. Yeah. Did, did, did I lose you there for a for second? Sure. Yep. No, I'm here. Okay. Yep. Because it, it's it's kind of choppy on my end. Um, so, but yeah, um, guys, just just do just do little things, right? I mean, ev ev everyone uses it. Just hashtag. Just make yourself a little logo. Go on like Adobe Spark and make something that you know that's and, for you. And I was gonna. I want to touch on what you just said with the company too, because that's true. But at at the same time, you know, my personal brand and what I've done to. Uh, put myself in a position where people 
you know, follow me or, or enjoy my content or whatever. It's actually done a lot for my company too, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that I am, that I work for Caliber. Yeah, Everybody yeah. knows that I am dedicated to Caliber, that I've been diehard Dish One Caliber for years and years and years. And so it also boosts my, my company. It also gives opportunity to my company and the company brand. And the other thing is, I can't tell you how many people have come to me just because they know me through my personal stuff and that has given them, that has opened the door for them to come and work for Caliber. Like, yeah. it, I, I can't even begin to explain that. Or, or the opportunities that we've gotten to collaborate with other people at other companies because of that, right? Yeah, exactly. And so I would say, like, don't, also don't forget the value that it adds for, your, mm. for the big machine. Like, the big yeah. machine is also a benefactor. And, like, me personally, I'm, I'm, I love the company I work for. I'm mm-hmm. very loyal to it. And it's, it's something I'm very, pri- like, very proud of. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I don't use it to boost my own image, but I love using my image to exactly. boost the company. Okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Sorry. I, I should have clarified it. Um, what, what does I, the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. He does the same thing. He, he, he kind of lures them in with, with his personal brand and then his personal brand is attached to a bigger machine, right? Exactly. Most, mo- most people don't want to see the bigger machine because they think it's just some company. You're just some salesman. Yeah right? Um, if, if you're able to, you know, ca- cash your attention with your personal brand and yeah. they know that it's attached to the bigger machine, eventually, you know, all, all these things will happen down the road, right? Yeah. Everybody comes out winning. Um, and uh, one of the things I want to talk to you, man, because I mean, it's in, in this industry, it's very jump ship. I didn't like this manager, so I'm out. You've managed to stay at the same company and grow that company for 11 years now. That, that to me is, is amazing. Um, yeah. Given, given you were probably offered different opportunities throughout the year, what, what's, what's made you stay? What, what makes Ian went who he is and why he stayed at, at dish or what now, now caliber for so many years? You know what? That's yeah, that's a really good question. So first of all, um, so this kind of goes back to my childhood and I, I actually didn't realize this until I put two and two together and it really started to think about this kind of stuff. Like, but I grew up super, super poor. Like mm-hmm. my, I don't want to make it sound like I had a terrible childhood because I didn't, my parents, I love my parents to death. My dad and my, and my stepmom, uh, you know, they did everything that they possibly could. My dad knocked doors, went to school full time and got his degree. And on top of that, was a religious leader, a, a, a bishop and a branch president. And so he's one of the hardest workers and probably my role model uh, to this day. And they did everything they could to possibly to give us everything that we needed. Um, but it was hard, man. I grew up in a single wide trailer in upstate New York with a family of seven. And uh, for anybody that's ever been in a trailer, like that's small, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really cold in the winters and it's really hot in the summers. And just to give you an idea, like in the summers, we had one like swamp cooler that we put Mm -hmm. in the kitchen and then we blocked off one end of the house and we blocked off the other end of the house so that we could keep just the kitchen and the living room space as. And all of us lived in that tiny little space pretty much the entire summer because it was unbearable to go into the other end of the house. Mm-hmm. At nighttime, we had to sleep there, but we only had one, huge, one, one of those big fans. As kids, we called it the airplane fan because it sounded like a freaking airplane, right? Yeah. And we would put that sucker at the end of the hall, and it would – Hey, I lost you. Uh, two vents. Did I lose you? Yeah, I, I lost you there for a second. Oh, where'd you lose me? Sorry. The the airplane fan. Yeah, so the airplane fan. Am I good now? Yeah, you're good. So we called it the airplane fan uh, because it literally like it would it, it sounded like an airplane, right? Um, and and then during the winters it was freezing, man, and we didn't have enough money to keep that heat really high, mm-hmm. and so we would literally go buy like oversized T-shirts at Walmart. And then there were two vents in my house, two little vents, right? Mm-hmm. When that heater kicked on, it literally was a race for me and all my siblings to get on that heater vent, throw our shirt over our knees and sit on it as long as possible. 
and we would fight over it, right? Just to give you an idea of kind of the childhood. But I will tell you this, what I realized after the fact is we also lived in a really rough neighborhood. Like that trailer park was really rough. No, like I didn't know it at the time because I was so young, but now like there were a lot of drugs. There was a lot of crime, you know, just a really, really rough place to live. Mm -hmm. And, uh, out of all of the trailers, ours was always the most kept. It was always the, the, like, it always looked like a home, even mm -hmm. though it was such a nasty place, right? It was, it was always a home. And when you walked in, it felt like a home. And what made me realize this is, uh, like a couple years ago, my brother went back to it and dude, I, I could, I could show you a video. You could even include it in this if you wanted it. Literally there's graffiti all over the inside of the house garbage everywhere looks like a straight up hoarder's house like just trap house right and it made me think of it made me realize like dude my mom did everything to make that place a home and uh, that's really where i learned the the value even though i didn't realize it at the time that's where i realized i learned the value of the grass is green where you water it right my mom made that grass as green as possible and so i feel like i just kind of had that mentality and with dish one from the very beginning, I just felt like it was somewhere that was, that was where I wanted to be. They always took care of me. And I just felt like if I can do everything in my power to add value and to be somebody who is dedicated to this company, then I can grow and I can literally turn this grass as green as I want it. Mm -hmm. Right. That was the first thing. The second thing is literally the people that I was surrounded with. I can't tell, and I know everybody has this story, but honestly, I cannot even begin to tell you how incredible the leaders are that I work with. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single one of them is not only a, a, a leader and a mentor to me, they're, they're more like a brother. Um, everybody at this company like bleeds uh, for, their, for their people. They, they care about them. They want the absolute best for them in every single way. And they'll go to the end of the freaking world for them. And that's how I felt from day one. Uh, my first, the guy that recruited me, Tegan Judd, along with Mark Cram, like to this day, they're some of my best friends. And I never felt like as long as I was doing my part that they ever dropped the ball as far as taking care of me. And dude, that's, that's what kept me around. Like no matter what, and I, I'm telling you, I got offers that would blow people's minds. Like I've been offered timeshares just to go sell for a year, like a timeshare in Hawaii for free, right? and uh, just to go sell for one year at a company. But it wasn't enough to outweigh the sense of family and belonging and care, and then also just everything that I was building at the company that I was at. And so I think there, I, I love that you asked that question because I also feel that that's how this industry is. It's so like jump ship, and it's kind of going back to what I was talking about in the beginning about adding value, right? Mm -hmm. Stop trying to find, stop trying to get more before you add value and instead try your hardest to add as much value as you can where you are and you'll get more than you ever could. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what my experience has been. And that's, that's why I'm still here at Caliber. That's why I still love the place I work. And that's why I'm still uh, so loyal to it. There you go, guys. And that, that's, that's huge. Um, man, Grass is always greener where, where, where you water. And that's absolutely true. I mean, because you'd be surprised how many of these DMs I get. Like, dude, what should I do? Like, this is what happened. Like, this situation. It's like, it's always, it's always the same thing. Like, dude, just stick it out where you're at. It, it doesn't matter what company offers you what. They, they can offer you the moon and back, right? But if, if you're not going to be happy, then we're just going to have this conversation next year. And you're going to be telling me that somebody else is offering me, offering you something else. Well, and those people, those people are also in a vicious cycle. I feel like those mm -hmm. people are a special breed and I'm not calling anybody out specifically. Like if you feel like this, then you know who you are. But I honestly feel like there's also people out there that just don't want to do the work. Mm -hmm. And instead of, instead of blaming themselves for their shortcomings, this, mm -hmm. is, this is a telltale, telltale story, right? Mm -hmm. They blame everybody else around them. They blame mm -hmm. the leadership. They blame, they blame the circumstances. And, uh, you know, in some cases, I think that companies can drop the ball. And if that's the case, like, okay, that's different, right? In my case, I felt like nobody ever dropped the ball. And, and, and if I ever felt like somebody did, I eventually realized that it was really just my own fault. It was something mm -hmm. I did, right? Something I did that put me in a bad situation. And I think too many people nowadays, especially are not willing to see that. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, for those people, I just really evaluate what's going on. Like, mm -hmm. 
is there anything that you could have done better? And if that's the case, then dude, figure out what it is you could have done better and go do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right now, if the company is toxic or if there's something, cause I know that there are situations out there where the company is toxic and like, it's not a good situation. That's different. Mm-hmm. But if you're at a place where you're being taken care of, your leadership cares about you and you know, you have every resource that you need to be successful, which I would say 90, 90% of the companies out there have, then just freaking stick it out and water your grass, water your grass and add value. And, and, uh, you'll be amazed at what you can actually accomplish right where you are. Exactly. Dude. I, one of the things you touched on that I, that I just want to echo again is as long as you did everything you could do, right. And the company takes care of you, everything will work out. Right. Um, that I, I think that's a level of, of one maturity and two mental awareness of, you know, things that happen. Cause I mean, that's, that's just what it comes down to. Shit will happen. Stuff will fall through the cracks, yep. but you, you can't put your eggs all in, all in that one basket. Yeah. If you do, you know, there's few people um, that, you know, um, three years later, they're still, you know, upset about those one accounts or those accounts at this company. Sure. They just feel owed and all this sure. stuff. But um, one, one of the things that I feel like um, you bring a lot to the table following you now for some while is the concept of mental toughness, right? Um, you're, you're a big advocate for it. Right. You yeah. obviously you work hard. I mean, I always see you working out, doing everything you do. Um, at what point did you start to take mental toughness more seriously? Wow. That's actually a really good question. Um, dude. So one of my biggest mentors, I already mentioned him is Mark Cram. So uh-huh. power hour is something I do. If everybody that follows me knows about that mm-hmm. power hour actually came from Cram. Uh, Krem introduced that idea of power hour to us, which is 15 minutes of goals and affirmations, 15 minutes of personal study, 15 minutes of, uh, professional study, and then 15 minutes of spiritual or emotional study to Mm -hmm. equal one hour every day. Right. He was the one that actually coined it. He's the one that does it every single day. He teaches his kids. He's literally like, I mean, dude, Krem is the man when it comes to that stuff. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I would say once I got into that corporate position, that's when I really started to take that more seriously because up until then, if I'm being honest with everybody, I wasn't mentally tough. And that's the exact reason why I was never number one. That's the exact reason why I never, uh, you know, really proved what I was capable of because dude, you know what people to this day still talk about the ability that I have and the talent that I have. I mean, like we've, we've had, you know, we've had little bouts here and there where, we do things called execs, the world, execs versus the world, where all of us executives, old dogs go out and sell against everybody in the company. And dude, I like, I can literally, you know, freaking throw down like with, and, and it's, it, to me, it's, it's very like, it's very methodical. And, you know, it, it pains me that I can't say, you know, I could have, or I would have, because at the end of the day, I don't know. But really, realistically, I think that if I was more mentally tough on the doors in the past, I would have worked harder. I would have pushed through. And I truly believe that I would have set records that, that to this day wouldn't have been broken. Um, but unfortunately, I'll never be able to say that because I wasn't mentally tough. So to answer your question, I think it really happened once I had that switch. I realized that I wanted to also be the hard worker. I realized what I really wanted to do. And I got into that position. And honestly, it's when I started to read. Because up until then, people will find this so crazy about me. Every time I tell people this, they're like, what? I hated reading, bro. I hated it. Like up until I was like 25 years old, I'm 32 now, right? 25, 26. I hated reading, dude. I hated it. Um, I was not a reader. I've always been a big movie guy. I've seen every movie you can possibly imagine. I promise you. But (laughs) reading was not my thing. And I just learned to make books and reading a part of my life. And I'm telling you right now, if there is one thing, anybody that asks me, if there is one thing that has contributed most to my success, my mental, my emotional toughness, and, and just everything that I've been able to accomplish over the last six or seven years, it's reading. It's a hundred percent reading. If you are not reading consistently right now, I, I implore you to not only figure out how to like reading, but freaking do it consistently. 
and you're not going to see the results right away. I mean, I'm six or seven years down the road now, right? But now I look back and I'm like, yo, I, I mean, literal game changer, right? And anybody that has that same experience will tell you that as well. Um, that's where I would trace back where my mental toughness really shifted. My mental toughness started to shift when I really started to implement habits of reading and just developing myself, right? Again, it's, it's so cliche, mm -hmm. but when I started reading, when I started lifting, when I started doing all the things to improve myself, dude, that's when I became more mentally tough, right? And, uh, and I don't want to make it seem like any of those guys that, out, that are out there saying like they're, you know, I, I'm still weak in a lot of areas. Like we all have our weaknesses. Yeah. I still struggle a lot with a lot of things, mental and emotional things, just like anybody else. But what I've learned through my own trials as a kid, through my, you know, through my journey as, a, as an adult so far, right, has been the difference between one of my favorite quotes is by Viktor Frankl. Okay. Viktor Frankl was a, a, uh, a, a uh, psychologist who uh, worked with Jews in concentration camps. He was a Jewish psychologist, right? And his whole thing was, and I would strongly suggest you go look up his books and his, his everything about him. What he did was he helped Jewish, uh, Jewish concentration camp prisoners deal with mental and emotional stress, losing their family, being abused, you know, all the most heinous things you can possibly imagine a human going through. He dealt with people and helped them to cope with it. And one of my favorite quotes of all time, he said, the difference between, or sorry, he said, uh, hold on, let me think about this quote now, because now I'm having a blank. Um, he said, in between, or in between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our ultimate freedom and happiness. Now think about what that means. What's stimulus? Like excitement, something that stimulates you. So just an idea, right? For example, it, it could be an idea, but it, but it, he's more talking about something that happens. To oh, you. When stimulus. When something okay, happens, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever. Right? He says between that and your response, there's a space. Uh -huh. And then he says, in that space lies what? Happiness and ultimate ultimate freedom and happiness. Think about what that means. It's so simple, right? So many people have tons of crappy things happen to them every single day. Mm -hmm. And every single one of us has a space in between those crappy things happening and what we decide to do or how we decide to respond. But how many of us actually take the step back and think about what we, how we want to respond in that space? Exactly. Many, right. And so um, I, I think that's the difference between being, you know, mentally tough. And what I've really learned is like crappy things happen to everybody. Right. But it's the people that choose to, and again, I'm not perfect at it. I freaking fly off the heel all the time. People that know me really well can tell you I'm sometimes I am most of the time I would say I'm a very emotional person. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on it. It's a lifelong pursuit, but I am a lot better than I used to be as far as like, okay, that sucks. I hate that that happened. And, and there's a lot more times than before where I can step back and say, okay, you know what, Ian, how do you respond to this? Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, I think that's huge for people. Oh yeah, definitely. Cause I mean, in, in, in an industry where, I mean, let, let's just be real, man. Like people always start off. And one of the things that, that I had talked with Jake Bennington about is, uh, uh, oh, I love Jake. Jake, you're the man if you're listening to this. Dude, he is freaking dope. So one, one, one of the greatest lessons that I've, I've learned from door to door is, um, what, what he taught. So two summers ago, I, I was out selling in, in Long Island, right? Out selling with Aptive. And he comes in the middle of the summer and he's like, guys, do not renegotiate your goals, right? Because yeah. one of the things that happens is, you know, stuff happens on the door. There's a lot of outside circumstances. You got weather, you got stuff back home, you got yep. people in front of you, crappy days, right? Yeah. Um, what you do, and I think this, this goes along perfectly with, with what you're saying, is how you react or how you process these, you know, what's happening. I feel like that's, that's just what we need to get better at is learning to process sure. our emotions, taking a step back and just thinking about like, what decisions you can make yeah, and what the outcomes of those uh, choices will, will bring. Right. And Absolutely. I think, and I, I imagine, right. In, in like um, 
uh, for you in management, it's, it's the same thing with like reps, right? They all got questions. They all got stuff. And when, when I was running the region down here in San Diego for the solar company, I would get the same questions every time, every time yeah. it got to the point where I had to have a meeting, uh, with, with the teams. And I was like, look guys, if you ever think you need to ask me a question, think about your question, figure out how you can solve it or what options you have right in front of you. Yeah. And whichever one's best, do that. If it doesn't work, then call me. Yeah, for sure. Control the controllables, right? Exactly. And and let me let me throw let me throw some value out there for people. I I hate it. So one of the biggest reasons why people say that they struggle mentally and emotionally in this job is rejection, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Everyone says that. When you when anyone gets recruited, the number one thing they say is you're gonna go through a lot of rejection, right? I hate that, dude. Mm -hmm. I hate it when people when I, when I listen to a leader recruit somebody and say, dude, you're going to go through a ton of rejection. That's what makes this job hard, blah, blah, blah. It's like you're setting them up for failure and, it, and it's based on a false idea. Let me explain what I mean by that. Rejection, true rejection, and this is just my opinion, right? Like this isn't, I, whatever, you call it what you want, but this is Ian Wentz's opinion. True rejection is personal, okay? Oh, yeah. when, when I, you know, when I, uh, anybody when someone gets cut from a sports team because they're not good enough that's rejection mm -hmm. when somebody doesn't get a job because they weren't qualified enough that's rejection when somebody doesn't get a date with a hot girl because that girl didn't think that they were attractive or whatever that's rejection those situations with personal rejection you have every right in the freaking world to feel bad about it or to to let yourself get down and and to like that that rejection is true rejection mm -hmm. and, and that hurts that stings right that stings our human, our, as a human, that, that sucks. But what guys go through on the doors, don't tell me that's freaking rejection because it's not. Yeah. None of the people that they talk to every day know who they are. Yeah. Like when I knock a door, they don't know who I am. I guarantee you that if we met under different circumstances, if we met at a party with friends or if we met in the grocery store and I, you know, Talk, just bumped into him. It was like, Oh, sorry. And they just talked to him or I helped him pick up a, or whatever. Right. Any other situation that you meet those people in, in the right place, if you're talking to them, I guarantee you that interaction is different. Why? Because I inherently believe that people want to be good. People want to be friendly. Right. But the fact of the matter is that you are doing a job that nobody likes. That's the thing you need to understand mentally, right? Mm -hmm. I always tell my guys on the list of people that these guys, that these customers want to talk to, like potential customers or whatever, you're not even on the list. You're on the floor, right? But that's what makes our job. That's what makes the job hard is you have to learn how to break through that preoccupation. But that preoccupation is not rejection. It's yeah. not. Let's get that through everybody's skull right now. Mm -hmm. They are not rejecting you. They're rejecting the job. They're right. rejecting what you're offering them. And so what happens with people, I feel like with a lot of reps and leaders and everybody who has been shoveling this garbage into people's mind for years and years and years in the sales industry is the reason why they look at it as rejection is because they're just taking it personally, right? Somebody quote unquote rejects the opportunity or the job and they take it as a personal rejection. And then it causes them to get emotional. And we all know what that, we all know, you know, that vicious cycle, but like, I just want everybody on this call to understand if there's one piece of advice I can give you when it comes to being mentally and emotionally tough, stop taking rejection mm -hmm. personal because it's not personal, right? It's, it's just not. And, uh, and I, I just, I think that's so key, especially in our industry. People don't think of it that way. They, uh, you know, they twist the, the narrative and they say that this is a personal thing and it, it's just not, that's, that's why the guys that don't get down on themselves when they're quote unquote rejected are able to do that is because they don't take it personally. They're just like, okay, cool. You don't want it. No big deal. On to the next one. Your job is not to sell everyone, right? Mm -hmm. There's very few people that can sell almost every person they talk to. The job is, is get more yeses than no's, but guess what? You're going to get no's and that's okay. Right? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Right. Gosh, where, where is this? I feel like, um, I, I, I need to take a book from Bradley and just drop the bomb right there. <laughs> Dude, I was on Bradley's podcast. That guy is freaking awesome, man. Dude, he's that a, guy's freaking uh, dope. He's super cool, man. And what I love about Brad is he's all sales. Like, yeah. he talks about a lot of different things, but 
his podcast and his content is just all sales based. There's very few people I feel like that are all sales based. Like even Cardone and these other guys, you know, I'm not, a, I mean, call it, call it what you want, but like even these other guys, they talk about so many other things. This guy is just like strict sales. Like he's a yeah. sale rhino, man. Like he's a beast. And I, yeah. anyway, no, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's definitely a topic for a different day. Uh, for a different day, all these Grant Cardones, even like yeah, Jordan sure. Belford, all these gurus, quote unquote. Yeah, they're all. Yep. Anyways, a topic for a different day. Um, but yeah, <laughs> dude, I imagine. Dude, no worries. Yeah, I'm, dude, I imagine in um in this time, right? In these 11, 10, 10 plus years you've been in the industry, you've you, you've had some funny moments, right? What's mm-hmm. what's what's been your funniest moment, whether on the doors or being in the position you are right now? Dude, so when you ask you asked me about this question a while back, and I actually started thinking about it, it's tough, man. There's so many like weird, funny moments, and I, I think everybody can relate to this. It just kind of meshes together. Um. I mean, dude, the amount of times I can, I can count walking into like a hoarder's house and seeing some dude in his like white underwear, you know, prancing around his TV. One time I was literally in the house and, uh, the dude, I kid you not, like I'm, I'm selling him and he literally grabs a cup off of his TV stand and just starts pissing in his cup right in front of me, bro. And I'm just like, uh, I mean, I got the sale, so that was dope. But like, I, I, t- I, I think that was like my second year and I was just, I was dumbfounded. But I would say, I would say it's kind of funny. I, I actually just told this story with Mitch. I'll say, I'll say it again, but it's kind of funny. And at the same time, it's just kind of like eye-opening. But one time I was selling and uh, I was in this, this neighborhood and I, I knocked this door and I talked to this lady and I had her on the, I had her on the rope. She was like, yeah, we're, I'm interested. You know, she was a one legger though. She's like, I just got to call my husband. And I was like, okay, you think he'll be down? She's like, yeah, he's super easy going. I'm just going to call him really quick and, uh, and, and see what he thinks. So I'm sitting there, she calls on the phone and she left the phone on high. So I could actually hear the other, the other end. Right. And, uh, she gets on the phone she starts explaining and the guy goes, wait a second. Is, uh, is, is that guy a solicitor? and uh and she just kind of act like i don't think she knew i could hear she well i know she could she knew i couldn't hear her she thought i couldn't hear but she goes uh yeah and i'm just sitting there like and uh and the guy goes okay keep him there i'll be there in five or ten minutes just keep him there and and she hangs up and she's and i was like oh cool so what did he say i like acted like i couldn't hear right i was like oh cool what'd he say She's like, oh, he, uh, he said he's interested. Um, he just wants to meet you and talk to you more about it. And so you can explain it to him in person. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. Well, I have a couple other appointments. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and get to those. And then when he gets home, you know, just, just uh, let me know. Or, or I'll, I'll make sure I look for his car. What car does he drive, right? And, uh, and she's like, oh, he drives, a, he drives a Bronco. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm, I'm getting ready. She's like, are you sure you don't want to stay? Like I, I you, you can get a drink. Honestly, you can just hang out. I was like, no, I got an appointment. And dude, she pushed like three or four more times. She's like, no, you, you should really stay. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going to go to this. Point. And I just, dude, I literally booked it. And she freaking opened the door, called him back. She's like, he's running, he's running. And I just freaking booked it down the street. Cause it was a, I think it was a no soliciting neighborhood. And, uh, I freaking booked it down the street, got in my car and bailed, man. But I, so the, the part that I forgot to tell you though, was when, when I heard him say that I started looking around the room and I start seeing like awards and medals and pictures of police officers. And I'm like, yo, oh I, shoot, I'm out. <laughs> so, oh uh, man, that's the one that sticks out most in my mind for some reason. Cause I, I don't know, man. I had, I had crazy stories, but most of the stories are just the same as everybody else. You walk into yeah. a weird house, it's nasty. There's weird yeah. people, you know, just yeah. not, not necessarily anything crazy. Cause I, I don't know. I didn't really ever get into it with people or, yeah. but yeah. Now what, now what it would have made it crazier is did, did he drive a white Bronco? <laughs> Dude, I actually don't know. Cause I got to my car. And or- <laughs> I dipped, bro. I was out like, I literally just ran to my car and just dipped. Dude, out. that's that's funny, dude. The the when when you first said Bronco, I'm like, he must be driving a white Bronco. I don't know why, but that, and anytime <laughs> I hear the word or the, someone driving a Bronco, I'm like, is it a white Bronco? Dude, yeah, man. I, freaking, I don't know, dude. Freaking OJ. Hey, funny stories, but yeah. Dude, that's freaking funny, man. Well, I I I don't want to take too much of your time. I actually have to get prepped for another one, but 
what I what what I want to do is I want to leave this open. This this cool. this this last little piece. Um, well, I want to leave it open. Words of wisdom, words of advice. Um, you know, whatever you want to share with 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 the audience, man. It's it's all yours. Um, yeah. So we live in a world where I feel like uh, people are constantly not only constantly looking for reasons to be down and negative and everything, but it's actually become like, cool. Like, you know, memes are like, dude, I share memes, you share memes and everything. But if you really think about it, even memes, like nine times out of 10, it's like, Oh, getting to Wednesday, like, right. Or, you know, just all about how nobody wants to work or like, even, even to the point where I feel like there's a lot of memes out there where it's like, you know, don't show your phone to your, to your, your ex. Like it's cool to be unfaithful. It's cool to be negative. It's, it, that's literally what our society has started to breed. Mm-hmm. And I just, I hate it, man. I, uh, you know, I'll share memes and stuff too. Cause I think they're funny, but I try to stay away from those ones. And I guess my, my word of wisdom or whatever would just be, you know, stop like contributing to that. Um, I don't want to be cliche and say, you know, spread positivity or whatever, but like just find ways to add value, find ways to serve people and like fill gaps in the world. There's so many gaps in the world and there's so many people that can fill those gaps, find ways to do that by, by spreading, you know, good messages. And, and then just realize this, I, I hate it when people say, and I, I've said this on a lot of places I've been, I, I just, I feel like it's so important. A lot of people say tomorrow's a new day. Why is tomorrow a new day? Where is that written? Who put that down? Who made that a rule? Where does it say, especially with knockers, right? Where does it say that if you're having a crappy day at seven o'clock at night and you have no sales, that all of a sudden you have to throw in the towel and say, you know what, today sucked, but tomorrow's a new day. Like, where does it say that your day starts again at 6 a.m. the next day? Where does it say, it doesn't say that anywhere. And so my message would just be, realize that you can start your new day or you can change the outcome of whatever you're going through now. Like you can, you can change it a minute from now. All you have to do is just once again, step back, think about the things that are going on right now. Think about if it's something you can actually control, you know, think about if it's something that you really want to allow to just take over you, or if it's something that you really just making a big deal yourself and, and just take a minute take a breather, you know, do something that lifts you back up, whatever that is, especially if you're on the doors, right? Call somebody that, that will lift you up or, or whatever. Um, and then make it better now. Mm-hmm. Make that new day a minute from now, five minutes from now. You know, don't, don't wait till tomorrow to have a new day, I guess. That's, it, it, as cliche as that sounds, it's really my message to everybody is stop breeding this idea that, you know, it has to, the negativity has to continue and you just have to kind of ride it out and then wait until it goes away. Like make it go away now. There you go, guys. Add value where you can. Um, I think it's as simple as that. Add value and life will be better in every aspect. For sure. So dope. Well, Ian, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Thank you for being on. Yo, and- Rick- I'm gonna call you Ricky now because now yeah. I actually know your first name, the no yeah. soliciting breath. <laughs> yeah, dude, go for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will definitely have to get you back on in, in a month or in a few months or so. Yeah, bro, let's do it. Let's All do right, it. brother. All right, okay. well, thanks for being on, man. I'll talk to you later. <laughs>